Hey guys, how's it going? Derek Craig here with another Wolf of Basics Discover podcast episode. This is episode number 52, and I'm going to be learning right alongside of you here today. We're going to be talking about rethinking hand safety. So obviously we use our hands every day, all day, right? Whether we work in the office or in the field, whether we work in oil and gas or construction or whatever industry you work in, it's something we all use our hands. Um, so we're gonna be talking about that topic today. Lots and lots of material to cover. Our guest, Joe Gang, actually wrote a book entitled Rethinking Hand Safety. So like I said, lots of material to get through here today and lots of uh, very useful insight, I think, that he has to, sh- to share with us. So stick around for that. Um, in terms of intro material, this is, like I said, the 52nd episode. So if you missed the last couple, go back and listen to them, especially um, listen to the intro of episode 50. <laughs> it's actually a pretty cool intro. Um, it's been a couple hours putting that together. Basically, it's kind of recapping the show all the way back from episode zero. And I, I didn't get to recap every single episode or anything, but just kind of, just kind of, it's, it's pretty inspirational uh, just to see all the different topics or even just some of the topics that we've covered and the guests and, and, and kind of our mindset in episode zero versus now and just um, just kind of that journey. Um, so I encourage you to listen to it. It's pretty pretty encouraging, pretty inspirational, and look forward to the next 50 plus episodes with you guys. So um, one thing I'll allude to too in terms of announcements here, this probably within the next couple episodes of the podcast, we'll be announcing pretty exciting news, um, news that I alluded to in episode 50. Um, and you might actually, by the time the podcast is released, you might actually see it on LinkedIn or something uh, beforehand, just because we record these episodes a couple of weeks or so in advance. So there's a little bit of a, of a time gap there, but keep an eye out guys. Uh, we've got some pretty big news about to be announced. So keep an eye out for that. Um, I think uh, hopefully you guys will be as excited about it as, as I am. So um, the other thing, I'll mention a couple uh, feedback that I've got about the show. And like I always encourage you guys to, you know, to reach out to me, uh, leave a review on the show. Uh, I have some people, you know, just leave a review in, in um, Apple Podcasts or whatever, but I also have some people who reach out to me on LinkedIn. And it's always really cool uh, to see who's listening and, and what your guys' background is and, and how it's specifically benefiting you or, or not. <laughs> um, but I've got some pretty cool feedback. I just wanted to read a couple of them. Um, I got uh, a message on one of my posts from Tim, uh, Tim Clark. He said, this is a wicked series and highly recommend listening. Uh, he said this on LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> so, and then I also got another guy, um, Seth Minzen. He said, love your podcast and I am not in oil. <laughs> so that's really saying something. So um, gra- I'm very grateful for everyone who listens to this. Um, unfortunately, I can't I get a whole lot of data on you guys. I just know roughly like how many people download it, but I don't know y'all's background. I don't know, you know, lots of things. So whenever people reach out to me, it really helps uh, me to understand who's listening and, you know, what we can do better to suit everybody. Um, especially, you know, <laughs> some of these guys, if we have a lot of people who are listening that are outside of oil and gas and I probably in general, I need to do a better job of introducing some of the more complex deeper topics, I guess, maybe give a little bit more background on them, but something I've uh, grown conscious of recently. So hopefully that'll uh, be better going forward. But this one uh, isn't too deep (laughs) in terms of trying to place it in the industry. This is obviously a topic that's everywhere, um, all across our industry, all across other industries, right? So again, we're talking about hand safety today. I've got on the phone with me, Joe Gang. He is VP of Superior Glove and his family's actually been in this business for over 100 years. So lots of knowledge here to talk about today. Um, he just published a book, uh, I guess, last week as of the time we're recording it. So I think by the time this airs, probably about three weeks ago, roughly. Um, it's actually titled Rethinking Hand Safety. So without further ado, Joe, how are you doing today? Thanks for being here. I'm doing great. It's my pleasure. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, like I said, great to have you on. Definitely, like I said, first HSE topic. Um, I think definitely a good one. <laughs> so, I guess kind of give us a little bit about your your background and uh, start go from going from there. Sure. 
Uh, so I grew up in the glove business. My, my dad bought this company in 1961. It was founded in 1910. And um, so I just grew up uh, working in the business, making gloves, making leather, yeah. um, and all, all that sorts of stuff. So uh, on the weekends, my dad would bring me in uh, as a kid and give me the, the worst jobs in the factory <laughs> <laughs> at cleaning up and and just the, the dirty jobs of making leather. And so it kind of it gets into your blood after a while, and it's a little bit hard to get out of the business. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. So you worked in his factory when you were growing up? <laughs> yeah, definitely. And then, yeah, so then I um, went to university, studied chemistry. After university, then I came back and joined the business, and then I've been doing this full-time for the last 16 years. And, um, yeah, it's a lot, a lot of fun. Yeah, awesome. And you're from Canada, right? Yeah, that's right. We are our our factory is located uh, about an hour northwest of Toronto in just a very small town of about seven thousand people. So um, mm. yeah, the, uh, this area is like historically it's like a glove making town. Oh and really? So um, yeah, so there, there's just like a, a history of leather making and glove making in this town, and um, like kind of like a badge of honor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you if you've been in that that business before, um, and then so we what we do is we go into uh, factories. We go with, we work with construction companies. We work with oil and gas companies. Uh, we get like our boots dirty essentially and see what they're doing, and then design gloves uh, to try to help those companies reduce injuries and and cut costs. Oh, gotcha. There's a little bit of custom work going on then, huh? Yeah, there's a lot. That's kind of the what separates us a lot from, from other companies is there's a, we do a lot of custom stuff. So I think we have over a 1,000 different products. And when I talk to people that aren't in this business at all, they're like, how could you possibly – you think you'd have like five different kinds right. of clubs. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, and there's a 1,000. It's just because we, like, we will customize stuff for, uh, for companies specifically. So, and, and everybody does something a little bit different, so they might need something just a, a little bit um, – like a longer cuff or something else or something reflective on it. So we do those kinds of things that are, are, are a little bit customized. Hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Some of the stuff I want to kind of, I'm curious about too. Like, I mean, you build a business around all this. So, I mean, like I don't I know at some point too, you mentioned, I think it was on your LinkedIn profile, you know, R and D around gloves and everything. And I think just kind of feel free to blow our minds a little bit today in terms of what all happens in, in this industry and just how, uh, vast sure. it is. Um, so definitely, I'm definitely interested in hearing more about that. But <laughs> cool. Um, yeah, I could be put you guys to probably to sleep. Like my wife is like, <laughs> yeah, if, I'm, if I have trouble sleeping, tell me about gloves. So I could, <laughs> go, go on for, for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. For me, it's interesting at least. Yeah. <laughs> well, very cool. Well, I guess kind of where do you want to start on this topic? Uh, lots of places I'm sure we could kind of dive in, but I guess you know a little bit of background on the topic, kind of. I mean, I suppose about every industry uses gloves, right? Um, probably have different um, reasons for using gloves and different um, applications. And I guess kind of starting there or what? Um, well, what I'd say is like um, we can get into the tactics because the reason we wrote the book is because um, we kind of realized that that gloves is just a little piece. Like, I mean, when, when you're in mm-hmm. the glove business, sometimes you have a t- tough time seeing the forest from the trees. And um, and we want to take a step back and see, okay, let's take a look at the forest. What else can we do to help these companies reduce hand injuries? And that was kind of a fascinating uh, like deep dive for us in, the, in that process and to see what the those things were. And mm-hmm. oil and gas, well, there was a lot of like, really neat examples from, from oil companies of what they've done and the struggles that they had and, and the great stories that came out of that. Gotcha. Yeah, so I guess tell us a little about your, your book then. Sure. Um, so what we, we the process that we went through, um, what, what first was a realization of like, 
okay, we don't know what we're doing here. We don't know how to help companies other than gloves. So what we did then is we figured, okay, we're in a great spot where our, our salespeople are they're in with oil companies every day. Um, they're they're hearing the stories, uh, and they can see when the, they know when they are talking to a company that knows what they're doing. So we figured let's interview those safety managers, yeah, um, and find out what those best practices are. And then the next step was we talked to just safety experts, so people that deal with. Uh, manufacturing companies, oil and gas companies, and see what they've done that that works for reducing hand injuries. Um, and then the other thing is we just read a bunch of academic studies. And there was like, being a n- non-academic, it was really surprising how many studies have been done on reducing hand injuries. I didn't, I didn't mm. think there'd be any. And there was literally hundreds of oh, wow. really weird, essentially weird studies yeah. um, <laughs> to, to find out how to reduce hand injuries and just injuries in general. So, huh. yeah. Listen, was it most of those studies coming out of like uh, collegiate institutions or was yeah. it more? Yeah, there are a lot of like, um, yeah, just a lot of uh, PhDs oh, wow. that have been, in, been into construction sites um, or gas companies and um, and the, like just really weird stuff. So there was one study that was done on uh, the factors that affect um, hand injuries in construction sites. And then they analyzed all these, these factors and um, and really weird stuff that you wouldn't think of. So they like one thing... Uh, what was surprising is if you're a smoker, you're at a significantly higher rate of hand injury. Um, oh, really? And we like, yeah, and we didn't know why that was. If you <laughs> hadn't played, if you hadn't played sports as a kid, you're more likely to get uh, a hand injury, huh. which I guess makes sense if you're not really athletic and you maybe your yeah. hand eye coordination isn't that good. <laughs> but it's not, not not something you would, as a safety manager, you would have thought of before. Like right. you're not going in the hi- the hiring process and you're like, have you played sports? Yes, no. Like right. <laughs> Um, also like getting too much sleep, which you wouldn't have thought of. Like if you get over nine hours sleep, you're at higher risk of injury. Um, like too little and too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just like kind of weird factors like that, that, that contribute to the likelihood of hand injury or injury just in general. Mm, that's interesting. Is there any specific, like, I guess, commonality between like, uh, different types of hand injuries, I guess? Um, what, what, what respect do you mean? Yeah, so I, mean, I guess like what's kind of the the more common? Is it typically just getting like like pinch points or or what what type of yeah. I guess common injuries are we trying to prevent against here or seeing? So for oil, it's impacts. Impacts is the number one that that their uh, companies are seeing. So mm. when a pipe's hitting the uh, like a pipe or a wrench or something's hitting somebody's yeah. hand, and the and then those injuries, like in addition to be common, they can be really severe. So that if you're getting a backhand fracture, um, like you're not you're not going back to work the next day. You you could be off for for months, hmm. uh, and and some of them like you maybe never really recover fully. Um, so those backhand fractures are really those are top priority for oil companies. Um, and then number two is cuts. So uh, yeah, just getting getting cut by sharp objects essentially because there's just so many um, kind of unknown factors in an oil field that that are hard to control for. So um, th- those are the top two that that we typically see. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So I guess like, you know, with those, um, commonalities, you know, in, in mind and everything, um, what are some of the things that, you know, like oil field companies specifically that, that you've seen them do to actually kind of reduce these types of injuries? And I think you, you mentioned too, there, there's a couple of unique ones, right. That you've seen or have read about or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the one of the, um, Kind of the most unique one we saw was from a uh, university at Professor of Colorado, Matt Hollowell, and he did a, uh, a project with ConocoPhillips, 
and oh, they yeah. they had identified that their uh, they had this hand injuries were were huge for them, and so they they did a project for hand injury reduction and then and then uh, just injury reduction in general. And so what um, the unique thing that they had done is they um, kind of through study had found the way for people to change their behavior, the thing that that is most likely to get them to change their behavior is to have an accident or to have witnessed an accident. Mm-hmm. And and so they didn't want to have... <laughs> the, fir- the first one's not really an option, like put uh, injure a bunch of people and get yeah. them to change their behavior. Uh-huh, you won't but do this again. Is, <laughs> <laughs> what they did is they, they looked at where their hand injuries were coming from and then and injuries in general were coming from. It was a secondary. Uh-huh. And then they, they did very real-life reenactments of those injuries. So they, they had one where like a pipe dropped on the back of the hand and um, their website's actually worth checking out. It's safetyfunction.com, and they have this demo there. But they created these very lifelike um, hand mannequins, and then they drop these pipes just like it would happen uh, in the field. And and blood splurted out and everything like that. And people oh were kind of sho- kind of shocked. Yeah, but then, there's always going to be one that passes uh, out. <laughs> <laughs> but, th- but then they give the, pre- like, okay, this is what you can do to prevent it right away. So it's not yeah. just like freaking people out it's also how that injury can be prevented and then another one that they did um, not related to hands that was pretty interesting is um, they're having a fair number of um, injuries where people were digging trenches and the trench would collapse hmm. and uh, and bury them and so what they did is they got these uh, it was kind of like a blood pressure cuff but it was for their whole chest and then they'd increase the pressure and then they'd kind of tell them okay you're now buried under a foot of dirt hmm. and now we're going to increase the pressure and now you're under five feet and it's this very real life experience oh, yeah. that's, te- that's awful, essentially, yeah. um, and, and bring, really brings it home. And then right away they're saying, okay, well, this is how you prevent this from happening. Um, yeah. And that worked really well. They saw, I think, about a 30% reduction oh, uh, wow. in their injury rates. So that that was kind of a unique thing. Um, yeah, and that, that sounds like kind of a sure. harder program. It'd be harder to structure it. Like, it would definitely be thinking kind of outside the box to to figure out exactly how to demo all this and everything. But I've kind of said something along the lines of of this for a while too, regarding like pressure. Um, I I would say probably a lot of us in oil and gas are very desensitized to (laughs) being scared of pressure in a sense, because, you know, we, we commonly and and often work around, you know, things that at the very least are a couple hundred pounds, you know, PSI or, you know, and then people on frack and stuff, you're talking like 10,000 PSI and like, we just get so numb to that. Um, but you know, it's like if you're sitting by, you know, a pop off or something that goes off or you, you see like a pipe rupture or you see any type of event, you know, it, it's kind of hard to respect it up until that point, um, I guess. But then that's unfortunate. But and then this is probably the exact same way with with hand safety <laughs> until we get that that big injury or see it done. So it sounds like it yeah, would be yeah. more of an effective program if, if, if done right, obviously, and you have to put some thought into it. But especially yeah, the, that, sure. that one with the chest compression was pretty interesting. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to have to have that, that finger loss or that kind of thing before you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. What you're doing. Um, yeah. So there's, there's other things too. Like, I, I guess the the one thing we saw with companies, like the overarching thing that was critical is get the top management to buy in. Um, so if you're if the, at the head of the company, they don't really value safety. Yeah. Um, then the safety manager is essentially kind of screwed and the, they're going to have a really tough time implementing <laughs> a strong program. Yeah. And uh, like you, you see that, um, like in that Deepwater Horizon movie, that's kind of what happened, right? Is that um, the the company wanted to be safe, yeah. but they're under production pressure uh, from BP 
And then so it's like, okay, well, safety kind of goes out the window then, right? Mm-hmm. So, and, and it's, they mean that they're, they're at, at that time, like their, their company tagline, something like safety is a top priority. And like, no, actually production really was number one. And yeah. then safety went out the window when it really counted, right? So um, it, it kind of has to start there. And if it doesn't, then everything else is not going to be totally ineffective, but not nearly as effective as if, okay, actually everybody, oh, yeah. everyone sure. from Definitely the top has down to come from the top. In. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And it's also good too, if, you know, the people at the, the, the top that are pushing it to have, have that experience of, you know, of being around in the field and, you know, kind of, kind of connect with, you know, everybody else and talk more in, in actionable terms and, you know, day to day kind of things that they can do different and not just abroad, like, oh, we should be safer <laughs> that there's actually yeah, some examples yeah. and, you know, uh, everything to, to go with it. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And then kind of conversely, so like some of the things we saw that were interesting is like the, some of the most effective companies, the safety managers, um, were the ones that got their hands dirty, at least in part, you know, that, um, so we spoke to one safety manager and said, when he started, he said, he make sure you put me on the floor or in the, in the dirtiest spot, the toughest spot. And I want to experience it firsthand. Mm-hmm. And that, so if you have a safety manager that that's doing that, um, they, they have an understanding of what the every, everyday workers kind of going through. Yeah. And then they also, uh, everybody knows that that person isn't just isolated. And then, so they kind of buy in because, okay, that guy's not afraid to get his hands dirty. I'm going to listen to him as well. Mm -hmm. So with all your research, have you come across any surprising tactics for reducing hand injuries that have proven pretty effective? Yeah. So like there's all kinds of interesting tactics that that companies employed. The first one that was um, almost the most surprising, um, uh, was, uh, mindfulness training. So uh, we spoke to a company and they'd, they'd done mindfulness training across the board with their employees. And we're like, that, that's very unique. We've never even thought of that, about doing that. But they, what they said is that they found that the, the injuries were typically happening uh, when they spoke to the employees that were injured. It was kind of just a lapse in attention. So they'd been doing a job and then they just lost focus and weren't watching what they're doing. And then they got injured quite badly. And, and often that would happen like at the end of a shift or uh, right before a long weekend, that kind of thing, you know, when, when, what you're thinking about is what you're doing uh, later that night or that weekend yeah. <laughs> rather than, than what you should be thinking about at, at the moment. And so they employed this mindfulness training and like, taught employees to try to stay in the moment and how to focus better. And it, w- it was really effective. Like they had a huge, about 80% drop in um, uh, recordable injuries. Hmm. And uh, it's not, not something that you would really think. Like I didn't even think you could train that well to focus in the moment, but, but for them it was really effective. Um, other tactics, so this was one of my favorite stories that we'd encountered and it was from an oil company in Alberta and what they had done is, um, so they had, uh, they'd given all their employees, they gave them a pair of pink gloves. And what they said is, if you see <laughs> your buddy, if your buddy doing something unsafe with their hands, you just walk up to them and then you say, Hey, you're wearing the pink gloves for the rest of the day. <laughs> and, and then they donated $5 to breast cancer research for every, um, every time somebody had to wear the pink gloves. And it, it worked like, first of all, they had such a good culture that they, uh, and everybody was like really very friendly about it. And you knew when that guy was giving you the pink gloves, like he had your best interest at heart. He wanted you to go home safe. And so you didn't take it the wrong way, like that jerks make me wear the right. gloves kind of thing. Yeah. So be- because they they had this strong like company culture, they worked really effectively. So they saw dramatic uh, reduction in in hand injuries, 
and um, and then even when the program stopped, the the hand injury stayed low. So that that was like mm. something you wouldn't really think about doing, but it was kind of a fun way to go about it, uh, and and essentially made like instead of you have one safety manager now, every employee is essentially the safety manager and, and is looking out for. Um, how to reduce those injuries. Yeah, for um, sure. So that, that, that was kind of a, a neat tactic. I've heard um, of that being uh, used on, on drilling rigs. Uh, just recently, someone had mentioned that oh, as, yeah. as a tactic. <laughs> so maybe it's more common than we think. I don't know, but definitely pretty cool. Like you said, everybody's kind of becoming a HSC manager at that point. Yeah. And then uh, uh, there was another company that took just like a little bit different tactic on that. So ba- basically, like you're kind of applying peer pressure, but in a positive way as opposed to a negative <laughs> yeah. way. So um, what they had done is they they'd kind of done a training on hand safety, um, and then they said at the end, like, okay, are, if you're committed to hand safety, um, well, they had these buckets of paint. So dip your hand in a bucket of paint, and we're going to post, put it on this poster um, where everybody can see it. And then once it's dried, you sign your name to it, and that's all. Like if you're committed. And then we asked that you do that. And then so pretty much everybody did that. And then you can kind of see like, okay, my buddy signed it. He's committed to hand safety. I'm, and then there's like this kind of like social contract almost, you know, that, yeah. um, hey, because he did it, now I should do it. And, and then everyone is like kind of safer because of that visible um, social pressure almost. And, um, and and then when you see that guy not wearing his gloves, you can like, hey, well, what about you? You, you did that, right? Like then you can kind of speak out a little bit. It's a little bit easier than it, if that wasn't in place. Yeah. Um, then the other thing that w- was like pretty surprising was a study that was done just about workplace. Uh, I don't know. Cleanliness is not the right word, but orderliness. So they, it was done at a shipyard. So it doesn't re- directly apply to oil, but I think it's not that far is um, what they've done is they've done a, a huge job cleaning everything up, putting everything in its place, no pipes lying around, um, and they expected like maybe five or ten percent reduction in injuries because they attributed five or ten percent from people like tripping on stuff or dropping stuff that wasn't in its place. But instead, it was like over fifty percent reduction in injuries. So just having things kind of orderly in a in a, yeah. a job site uh, makes a bigger difference than you would think. Hmm. So um, those are just some of like those little tactics that like if you employ a few of those things, like you can really add up and you can see big big drops in injury rates yeah now whatever you're talking about kind of making things orderly do you have like what what kind of things were they trying to um organize per se that that led to their uh reducing so much uh, rate of injury so so instead of like a tools lying around you know they had a, a tool board where you're like oh okay the the, the the tool board the tool goes right here right you know like so it's easy it's like uh uh-huh. and it's very visual as well and then and then the, and then just like sweeping up a little bit more or that, like that kind of thing. So basically a spot for uh, a spot for everything and everything in its place, kind of that, that sort of attitude as opposed to like, Hey, just put it in that bucket. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, <laughs> so you just see yeah, that, that kind of thing that you wouldn't think would really make that much difference actually has like a pretty huge impact on, on a work environment. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, another another question here too. Yeah, you kind of alluded to it, but I think there's probably definitely more we can talk about it. Um, you talked about the the idea of getting employees to actually buy into hand safety, um, and so you kind of mentioned the poster thing and and everything. But is there anything beyond that too? That tactics and stuff that you've seen to actually help people to to buy into it, whether it's hand safety or whatever. Yeah, um, I think it kind of like that. That typically starts with the HSC manager. So mm-hmm. that if the HSC manager, like, if they take the attitude of okay, it's my job to get you to comply 
and and you're sort of a problem if you're not complying. It's more just that okay, how how do we keep as opposed to like you know I'm the heavy hand. It's more like how do I understand what you're going through, and and help you to be safe. So mm-hmm. if you take the, the that second attitude of okay, let me understand why this isn't working. Let me dig into what's going on. Um, so we saw some workplaces where like they'd have an injury, and then the HSC manager would say well, that guy's kind of an idiot. Why would he do something so stupid? Right. And, yeah. and that, that's obviously not effective. So the, but where other workplaces, instead of taking that attitude, they'd say, okay, that looks like something stupid to have done, but let's, let's dig in, let's peel back the layers of the onion. And then you start asking them, why did you do that? And without being judgmental, because you can say like, right. why, why the hell did you do that? But more like, why, why did that happen? Can you explain to me what you're thinking there? Um, and genuinely try to understand. And then when they did that, it was kind of like, okay, now there's a, re- a reason. Like that guy didn't get any training, or mm-hmm. maybe his uh, foreman said, like, hustle and hurry up. And, right. uh, and, and kind of like without directly saying cut corners, it was like cut corners and get, get the job done. Yeah. And then so, so when they were able to kind of peel back the layers of onion, they're like, okay, this is how we f- literally fix a problem rather than saying, oh, that guy's just an idiot. And right. And maybe no fixing that. Maybe their perception of their environment or the situation uh, was drastically different, um, you know, based on their background or lack of training or whatever. So, and that's something yeah. I've seen kind of play out too, not necessarily from HSE managers or something, but just kind of workplace peers, um, in a sense, yeah. is judging someone's injury as being a very stupid thing. Um, yeah. And I think that's it's unfortunate. And it personally bothered me a lot because. I think, you know, I, I think we all kind of got our own degree of stupid, you know, it's like, yeah. what would be uh, stupid for me or what I, th- what I would think would be a stupid injury, you know, somebody else might not. And I, I mean, I think we all could make, you know, a, well, uh, an injury that would be stupid that other, other people would view as stupid. So it kind of, just kind of comes to your, your perception of, of stupid. And I think we all have our own version. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. And we, well, like we saw kind of negative, um, that work like, workplaces trying to be humorous but it was really negative messages so we saw even like um signs that would be up like don't use this machine unless you have a brain you know and that's like yeah okay well the, the message there is like not it's not at all helpful it's kind of insinuating that some people on the workforce are stupid and if you get hurt and, don't tell anybody because you're going to be yeah. judged as not having a brain <laughs> yeah exactly um so so that just that kind of like little um that, that tone that's a bit of a knife in the back you know what i mean like oh, mm-hmm. you guys are idiots kind of <laughs> yeah. so um so that rather rather than like judging you know try to understand what what's going on and then that what goes sort of hand in that hand in that with um we've seen when safety training is done rather than okay here's how you do it right that it's more of like a conversation with a group of like okay what are you guys seeing that's working what do you guys think about this and then that there's that back and forth dialogue rather than okay, here's a PowerPoint and just sit and listen, you know? So adult learners tend to learn a lot better when there's a dialogue. Yeah. Um, and then there's things that people that have been doing the job that they know that maybe a safety trainer uh, that just walked through a, like an oil field one time doesn't realize. Um, so it's that knowing the realities of a, of a job sometimes um, don't always fit into a, a pre-canned training program. Um, so yeah, just having that a dialogue back and forth and respecting people's opinions. And then people will tend to be bought in more to what you're going to say if they've had at least a, some say or input into things as well. Mm-hmm. One thing I'll add on this too, in terms of like getting people to buy in, I think one of the more effective 
forms of education around all this and, and getting people to truly realize what we're working around and the risks and everything, you know, unless you've seen it firsthand, like we've already mentioned, it's kind of hard sometimes. Um, yeah. But I think one of the more effective things, you know, is actually, you know, there's probably at any given point, a handful of people in the room, you know, in that training or whatever, in that meeting that have seen those types of injuries or have, you know, been around it or maybe it happened to them personally or whatever. And it's like, if you know someone and you respect, you know, that, that has a, a personal story like that of, you know, why particularly like they respect safety and why, you know, they try to work safe in the things that they've seen. I think it's a little bit yeah. more personal uh, too than just, you know, watching, you know, these <laughs> YouTube videos right on, on this injury or whatever. It's like, it, it, hits, it hits home. They work for the same company, you know, maybe have the same yeah. job, um, you know, and they've seen these things and, and I think that can really uh, help kind of dwell it in us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it hits kind of emotions too. It's not just like, these are the yeah. facts. It's like you're playing to people's emotions. And that's a kind of often what motivates people is not just straight facts, but the, the stories that go behind them and that, that, that can kind of cut through uh, gruff attitudes sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing I want to circle back on, um, I know at the beginning we kind of alluded to it is, you know, give us a little bit of idea of this, this world of gloves, because I mean, one of the questions, you know, how can a company or an individual even go about choosing, you know, appropriate gloves for their task or for their workplace or, you know, whatever. Um, but let's give us a little bit of a scope of like, what all, what all we have to, to pick from, or maybe some options that we don't even know exist or how to figure out what might be appropriate for the task, um, that kind of thing. Yeah. So even before like you get into gloves, the thing that that we'll, like we would advocate for is like the the hierarchy of safety controls. So like every safety manager kind of knows this in theory, but sometimes um, it's, people forget to apply it. But that's like that eliminate the hazard before uh, anything else, and then mm. substitute. And then like if, if you can keep people away from a hazard, that's way right. better than than putting gloves on them. Or if you can put a guard in place, that's still better. Uh, than just wearing gloves. Mm -hmm. And then training people is next. And then gloves uh, and PPE in general falls at the bottom. So not that you don't want to wear gloves, but you know, like start with doing the other stuff first yeah, and then put gloves on at the, at the end. And so we, we see that a lot sometimes. Um, we had a story, this is not from the oil field, but from a pulp and paper mill where um, this guy, they were changing these heavy blades and then, and then they were walking like half a mile to get the blade sharpened, and the guy slipped and cut his belly. Oh and the my. safety manager said, okay, now I need all this super high-cut-resistant jackets and pants and everything. And our, our sales guy, he was like really experienced, he was like, what are you doing carrying a blade? Why don't you just build a box and put it on a cart? And then like you don't really have yeah. – no, this person's not holding a 50-pound blade against their stomach yeah. uh, while they're walking. And, and the safety manager, who should have known that and like had been trained to know that, Oh yeah, that's just thinking differently. And so that, like, I would say, it advocate that's the first thing is like as far, don't even think about gloves first. Like think about how to eliminate it, and then work down that kind of ladder. Um, but then, so when you do finally get to gloves, which are important, especially like the thing about uh, oil field is it's harder to control risk than if you're working in a manufacturing company where it's inside a building and the environment's controlled because there's all these environmental factors, and and things change from day to day. So it's not like Right. One day, everything's like you could be safe one day, and then things, the environment changes, or yeah, like as you mentioned, pressure builds up or something like yeah. that you don't even realize. Um, so, so you do need you do need gloves, and you do need it. Just basically do everything you can to be safe because it's a more hazardous environment. Mm -hmm. So then, with gloves, um, I think where you kind of start is look at your injury rates that that um, where are you having the most common injuries. 
and not for like the last week, but say like the last year or even better, two years or something like that, where are the injuries happening uh, or what kind of injuries are you having? And then, and then go from, start from that point. So just try to go with your most common injury and then how do you eliminate that um, uh, with a glove or with PPE, that kind of thing. And, um, and what I generally advocate for here is like getting a, so th- this may be a slightly biased view, but I think it's still worthwhile, like getting a glove company involved there because in, you're going to get some expert advice from people that just deal with that every day. Um, and and every glove company that's worth its salt will come out and, and help uh, help you make that selection. And um, so without seeing the actual environment, like typically it's like in the oil field, you got to want to protect from impact um, and those impact knocks. And gloves have gotten so much better in the last few years in this respect that um, that back backhand padding is becoming pretty common it's getting more sophisticated and and getting in really getting into the glove weeds here is that there's a there's an impact standard that was developed by ANSI which is is great because before there was no standard and and now glove manufacturers have to comply with this standard mm-hmm. and so that there's these levels for impact reduction so 1 2 3 with 3 being the highest and depending on like how many impact injuries you're having then you kind of choose accordingly uh for for the the backhand thing, and if you don't you don't really need it, or the like backhand knocks are not a huge issue, then you probably wouldn't go with the highest because the glove cost is higher and maybe the comfort is a bit lower as well. The with the the higher impact padding, um, and then 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 there's the so what what you typically do is kind of choose two or three gloves that you think will reduce those injuries, and then you can and they definitely incorporate multiple hazards here. So if you're having like impact and cuts. You could definitely find a glove that has both of those um, protection factors on it, and then you might choose two or three, and then and then to the earlier point is you get um, guys that are doing the job and say like, what do you guys think about this? How does this feel? Uh, and then maybe narrow down the selection and then actually test it on the field because then there's kind of factors that that you can't really account for just putting it on your hand for a minute. That how is the grip? Um, how durable is it? That kind of thing, and you'd want to test them for a little while go back and if you're not happy with them then then try something else and and go again there Mm -hmm. does that make sense yeah i guess one of the the questions i have in terms of like logistics and actually like getting (laughs) getting this rolling um i think about you know even myself right when i I go to you know the parts room or wherever gloves are kept um to actually you know pick out a new pair of gloves or whatever and you see just you know a couple selections or whatever and i guess what kind of things could be done you know or would need to be done in terms of kind of like a workforce education so that, you know, you know, whenever we're going to select a glove, right, that we're selecting kind of what was intended us for, to be selecting, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, we, it's one thing to educate the people, like, figuring out which ones to stock, right, and keep around for workers, but it's another thing to actually, the, the workers know <laughs> where to get them and what type to use and when to use it and you know, all that kind of stuff. So the best practices we see here are the number one thing that should be done is a sign. So um, like our company and other companies will probably do this as well, or if not, you can get a sign company to do that. But basically just if you're doing this job, wear this glove and and a big sign that makes it really straightforward. Um, and so when you're going to get that glove and you're like, okay, I'm going to be doing this job, and you just look down the chart and you pick that. Um, gotcha. And you pick the pick the right product so that you're not like you know yeah that ha- that's a common issue. So in addition to doing that, then you probably want to back that up with with training. But the the sign would be even the first thing so that if somebody new comes on, they haven't got the training for whatever reason, 
that they're not going to make that mistake. Um, but sign and and training, and that should be able to solve that problem for the most part. Yeah. Well, let's hit on, let's hit on that then. Um, in terms of like training, you know, new workers, um, so people are maybe maybe are new to the industry. Let's say oil and gas um, overall, never worked in oil and gas before. Don't really know. Haven't really been on the job sites. Haven't really obviously seen any accidents or anything. Don't know what they're dealing with. Uh, how would we? <laughs> I guess. How do you kind of initiate them and get them trained? Um, so what the the best companies do is like they they'll have an onboarding thing so that um, in, <laughs> maybe I'll start with what the worst companies do. It's kind of like <laughs> um, they'll have no training and they'll just say, "Hey, follow Bob for the day," and yeah. and maybe Bob is not doing anything right, you know, and then and then so they're trained on potentially the worst practices, you know, like, okay, here's how you cut corners kind of thing. So the, the yeah. worst thing you can do is, is nothing and just like shadow somebody for the day. Um, the best is like, okay, you have this onboarding and you have a thorough training that's based on um, like having done a hazard assessment and talking to people and knowing what the best practices are. And then, and then even more than that is just not like, okay, you did it in the first day, but then there's the, there's going to be follow-up after a week and then a month, that kind of thing. And then, so it's an ongoing, um, kind of thing. It's not a, not a, the best, the best is not just one and done, but this is going to be part of your weekly and daily life going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's typically what we would, would see as best practice. So again, like real life training based on, on what is actually happening. And then, and the other thing too is, um, uh, making sure that if you have a high percentage of population that's not English speaking, uh, that the training is catered. Because we, we've seen that before, particularly like maybe this is more of an issue of construction, but where you maybe you have a lot of, of Mexican workers and they don't understand what you're talking about in the safety training, but oh, yeah. they're, nodding their, they're nodding their head like they do, right? Yeah, like that, right. That's a pretty common issue. And like, yeah, we even had one safety manager tell us, he's like, he gave us like 15-minute talk and everybody's nodding their head, and he's like, oh, "This is going pretty good." And somebody like beside him said, "Like you understand, they don't know a word of what you just said, right?" Oh and man! He's, and then he's like, <laughs> and "Then he went. It was like totally deflated, but realized, okay, now actually, I got maybe I have to uh, translate or to cater, uh, cater to that, um, because not not only do you need to cater the language, but then also the cultural difference where, like Americans and Canadians, if they don't understand, like you're." You're probably going to say something, right? Whereas somebody coming from Mexico, maybe they're concerned about their like citizenship. Um, they probably won't, and it comes more from a culture of um, like and, and like that's probably true true of everybody outside of North America. Is like you you don't speak up to your elders. Uh, you keep quiet if there's mm-hmm. something wrong, you know, so that they're not, and they're not likely to admit that they're, they don't know, you know, so they'll say, yeah, I know, I know, but really they have no idea. Yeah. Have so more power like distance. A, yeah. So there's, um, those cultural issues that you just can't assume that everybody's like the average person that's raised in the, the U S or Canada that are likely to question authority because they are not. <laughs> so. Yeah. No, that's, that's a pretty good point. And it's, it's always something I guess to kind of be aware of too. Like, you know, even if we're working on site, you know, <laughs> kind of who speaks English and who doesn't um, yeah. might not be as big of an issue in certain parts of the U S or you know, regions, but you know, especially down in you know Texas <laughs> where you know you have a yeah, lot of, of sure. different cultures there uh, kind of blending together in the oil field and everybody trying to work with each other. Um, yeah. The, yeah. We had another story from uh, a safety manager and he was like, he had some workers that I think they were from Syria or something and they were just 
they, they're not used to the same level of safety. You know, they accept a higher level of danger in the workplace. Yeah. And he like talked to them when like, what you're doing is unsafe. And he's like, the guy was like, dude, I just came from somewhere where I was getting bombed. Like I was oh getting shells shot, shot at me on a regular basis. Like wow. I, a hard hat for me is optional, right? Like that was yeah. kind of the attitude of like, I'm pretty, I'm safer here than I was at, in my home, yeah. <laughs> like where I came from. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, so it was kind of just like set, resetting that norm of like, this is what safe is here. Um, yeah. and, and, uh, you shouldn't be doing what, what you had grown up with necessarily. So, wow. Yeah, that, that, can, that can be a challenge. Be difficult. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, I think when, when you, one of the things you mentioned a few minutes ago, you know, about getting out to the field, you know, shadowing someone uh, who may or may not be following company policy. I think that's definitely one of the more damaging um, things that, that we can see, you know, is coming in new to a company or um, even somebody who's, you know, worked for the company for a while. If, if you, you know, taught one thing, you know, that the company expects, you know, things to be done, you know, this way or, you know, with this procedures or with this, you know, and then you go out to the field and then that's not done, uh, you're pretty conflicted as to yeah. how to go about it and, you know, can obviously lead to poor decisions. And Yeah, that can be a real challenge is that like if the, if the company culture is not one of safety and then how do you, how do you steer that ship in a different direction? Because like the, especially we've seen this with older workers where yeah. the, they, they viewed it as the scars are kind of a bad, badge of pride almost. And mm-hmm. like we even talked to one guy and like his, he was really badly scarred hands. And then like, we kind of said like, why don't you wear these gloves? And he's like, ah, oh, I don't need those to see gloves. I just put crazy glue on when I get a cut. And, like, <laughs> and and then what happens when the young guy comes in, you know, and then like they kind of make fun of him when he's wearing gloves, gloves like that. Right. And His hands like, don't have gets, calluses. Yeah. Or something like that. <laughs> yeah. That gets passed on. So yeah. it's really like that's the safety manager kind of, I mean, you want to lead with a carrot and kind of encourage things. But then at some point you got to say like, no, if you're going to work here, you got to wear your gloves or, you know, you, you can't do this unsafely mm-hmm. uh, and it's putting your, your foot down. Um, so you obviously want to start with getting the buy-in, but at some point um, the, the rubber hits the road and you, you get, there's a line that can't be crossed. Um, and so it's unfortunate, but that's the reality of being like a safety manager. Um, there is sometimes just enforcement that has to be done. Yeah. Um, but, but but even before you get to that, like maybe there's a reason why people aren't wearing their gloves. Like if, uh, we've had talked to other uh, companies, and they're like, "Well, the guys aren't wearing their gloves. Well, we gotta reprimand them." And then you talk to the guys, and like, actually, I cannot do my job in the gloves that have been provided. Like literally, it's impossible for me to handle the tools. Oh, so yeah. I take the gloves. I take the gloves off. I do what I need to do, and then I f- probably forget to put them back on. Is, is the reality? Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like before you get to that stage, you kind of need to dig in and like, okay, well, can we get better gloves? What can we do to make it easier and like remove all the obstacles? Um, and, and sometimes there's like kind of those unseen obstacles. Like if the, if the PPE is like half a mile from where you are, you know, you're probably not going to go walk and get gloves. Like they're just yeah. not going to happen. And, and so you have to kind of think of those things. What do we do to make it easy? And then and we would talk to another place that was kind of interesting where, they they had this like hand in policy. If you wanted a new pair of gloves, well, you got to go talk to the purchasing manager. And then they thought, okay, that's not that big a deal. I just hand them in and I'll get a new pair of gloves. But really, the purchasing manager was like a little bit of a jerk every time you asked for a new pair of gloves because he was just thinking about cost savings, nothing else. And so right. just just he wouldn't say no, you can't have a new pair of gloves. But he'd say like, well, why can't you wear those ones a little longer? Or 
did you forget them? What's gotcha. wrong with you? And then, yeah. and then soon enough, people are like, okay, I'm just not going to wear gloves because I don't want to go through that little bit of hassle, you know? So yeah. really, er, you have to make everything easy first, right? Like you have to start with that for sure. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, a lot of good insight. Um, I think one of the things too is like maybe knowing the effective limits of of the you know of the gloves, for example, right? Knowing kind of at what point you need to replace them, um, and and I'm sure you could probably speak to that too, like kind of what the you know when you know you need to get new ones or or move on, you know, uh, retire yeah. those <laughs> that pair. Yeah, um, I, I mean that one. Yeah, sometimes we see people wearing gloves that are well piet past their their wear life so i mean if a glove has holes in it for example like that's not a good <laughs> sign and that and that happens where or people just like don't want to trade in their gloves or they broke them in and they like them but if a glove has holes in it or like if the stitching is coming loose um things like that that that's a good sign but then conversely like if a glove is dirty that doesn't mean it's uh you need to throw it in and get it right. in there really like uh, you're working in an oil field so um <laughs> Gloves can be dirty and still be totally fine and, and be worn much longer. So you kind of have those two extremes where sometimes people are just like, ah, oh, uh, it's break time. I'm going to get a new pair of gloves, and and the gloves got like costs skyrocket. And then and then then you see companies when that happens, they're like, okay, well, how do we get a cheaper glove that has less protection for employees because they're not taking good care of it, you know? Um, so you kind of have to find that right balance of, okay, these gloves can still be worn and they're perfectly fine versus like, okay, these gloves have holes, holes in them and uh, they're still wearing them. But um, gotcha. I, I think the bigger problem is on people getting rid of them too early. Generally, that's what we see is the more common problem. Oh, really? Um, where uh, just the gloves are a little bit dirty and they're they're going to go grab a new pair kind of thing. Because mm. the gloves are, especially like gloves used in the oil field and that have proper protection, they're expensive. They're going to be, I don't know, 30 bucks a pair or something like that often. Um and and so to trade them in a couple times a day, like it, that that really adds up, right? Oh yeah, yeah for sure. Well, is there anything on uh, agency wise that you want to hit on before we? I have a general question I want to ask, and then we'll probably start wrapping up. But anything else that you just gotta get off your chest here <laughs> that, that I have mentioned or asked you about? Um, yeah, the other thing too, maybe that we didn't touch upon really is like how to do good hazard assessments because that can be a real challenge when you're walking through. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and so we've seen companies where, like, they'll just whip through a hazard assessment or they're evaluating a site and, like, everything's fine, good, go on. And then, like, right away there's an injury, right, because they didn't really do it properly. So when those hazard assessments are done, what you kind of want to do is you want to have – you might want to have your uh, safety manager and then somebody from that's doing the job that has a different kind of perspective on the hazards – and then maybe even somebody else that maybe is in management that has a different eye. So the more kind of different eyes you can get on a uh, when you're walking through or, or looking for hazards uh, to identify, the, the better the hazard assessment is going to be. And then also the just the, the consciousness that sometimes we don't see hazards at all, that we're that humans can be blind to certain hazards. So the one example, again, from the, uh, Matt Hollowell from University of Colorado is that if you're drilling, if you have two drills side by side, and the one drill is actively moving and drilling into the ground, and then you have another one like the auger, and then it's not moving at all, uh, you, the human eye will say, "Well, the one that's moving, that's the one that's hazardous. I need to be aware of it." But the reality is, the one that that's not moving could be stuck on something and about to blow up. You know, like it could. Oh yeah, um, about to release. And, yeah. 
about to release, but you don't realize it, like the, the human eye don't catch that energy buildup kind of thing. Yeah. So it's just being conscious that even if you're walking through and doing a hazard assessment, you're you're likely to miss some stuff. So you gotta think about okay, what am I miss missing here that mm-hmm. I'm not seeing? Because we we like I think studies have shown you tend to walk through and you do miss like a good percentage of the actual hazards that are in, in a workplace. Gotcha. Yeah, no, that's a good point. So my question uh, was in your profile and stuff, you mentioned that, you know, your company is, is heavily involved with uh, research and development in terms of gloves. So I'm kind of curious um, from your standpoint, you know, what's kind of left to innovate on, on gloves or like what is still kind of being researched or, you know, what's the future? I guess kind of like, you know, I don't, I don't even know what you'd be R and Ding. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's a, it's a lot. It's really surprising when you get into it, all the stuff that can be done. I bet. <laughs> um, but um, the things I think we're working on the most is is comfort. So how do we make mm-hmm. things more comfortable, more usable? Because that, that is what tends to drive compliance. Um, there's a study done that said 70% of workplace hand injuries happen when people aren't wearing gloves. So again, like people are taking their gloves off because they can't do do a job. Um, or they don't wear gloves at all. Like there's still a lot of workplaces where, like, people just won't wear wear gloves at all, and it's because the, the comfort isn't there and doesn't allow you're not able to do your job properly. So we're just doing a lot of work on on fit and kind of breathability, so the gloves aren't too hot, that, that kind of thing. Um, and then and then how do you get higher levels of protection, like with also higher levels of comfort or like the same level of comfort? So how do we make a yarn that's more cut resistant but doesn't feel bulkier? Uh, or how do we make a glove that has more impact uh, protection and it still feels more comfortable, like that kind of thing? Gotcha. Um, so there's a lot of research done, being like done by ourselves and other companies that are kind of pushing things that that way. I, I would pre- uh, like I predict more, more uh, progress on the impact stuff because impact stuff is kind of newer. And so there's just more experimentation with materials, and um, it's more quantifiable now. So I think that that's a bigger thing. Um, yeah, and yeah, so just all kinds of things. Like uh, conversely, like how do we make gloves that are cold resistant that are are thinner as well, like that mm. for working in cold environments that are outside. Yeah. Um, so yeah, generally that. I think that's the biggest area of focus. Make gotcha. make gloves feel like and I think you see that kind of in sportswear or just in clothing in general, right? Like under, like the Under Armour idea, or um, like make stuff more comfortable that, that yeah, functions gotcha. better, really. And then that's right. Wear as well, so <laughs> yeah, just a better experience yeah. all the way around. Yeah. No, yeah. thanks. Uh, thanks for all your comments and definitely a very good perspective and very insightful and, and beneficial i think for for myself and hopefully everybody else that was that's listening as well and i think now you know especially if you've listened to the whole episode uh we're all kind of sworn to practicing hand safety so fyi <laughs> very good. good so we could all think about that uh going forward in our day-to-day uh lives and activities that we that we do but i guess uh one thing i want to ask you before we jump off here um for anybody who's interested in knowing more about the topic and um kind of where can they grab your book um, so it's available on Amazon, or we actually have a website as well. So we're just rethinkinghandsafety.com, uh, and you can download a, a couple free chapters there. Awesome. Um, yeah. Very cool. Well, thanks so much for, uh, I think your publisher actually reached out to me. Um, I'm very glad you did. Thanks so much for being a guest and uh, for sharing this insight in this part of the industry with us. I really appreciate it. 
Great. Thanks so much, Derek. <laughs> All right, guys. And thanks again for, for listening. And stay safe, everyone. Practice hand safety. And we'll catch you in the next episode. Take care.